There's no one like your Valentine. So this year, treat them to an unforgettable gift that's as unique as they are. Sherry's Berries. A gift from Sherry's Berries shows her that you put thought into finding the perfect gift. Freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries starting at just $19.99 plus shipping. Or double the berries for just $10 more. You just need my code to take advantage of this deal. Steve D. These berries are fresh, juicy, sweet, shareable, irresistible, decadent. Did I mention shareable? Because each year when I get them for my wife, really I get them for my daughters as well. Choose these berries dipped in tempting white milk and dark chocolatey goodness. Surprise her at her office and workspace. Her coworkers are sure to be just a little bit jealous and she'll be overjoyed. So choose a gift from Sherry's Berries, incredible collection of gifts. Your gift will be perfectly packaged in a gift box with all the details taken care of. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in Steve D. Order them today. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in tonight to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. And a reminder, coming in February, our show moves to CRTV, which is also powered by Conservative Review. We join the outstanding star-studded lineup, Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Mark Stein, Stephen Crowder, and then there's us. If you subscribe now, use my name, Dace, for your early bird discount. You'll get a pretty substantial one, in fact. So go to CRTV.com. That's CRTV.com. Use promo code Dace, and you can get your subscription started for the next year for just 30 cents a day. And that way, you won't miss a single episode of our show, which will also go multimedia. So yes, you'll have the audio version, but you'll be able to watch it live every afternoon, including the video. As we make mediocrity happen right here on the Steve Dace Show. We love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Our producer Aaron will be here in about 15 minutes to give us a rundown on weekend news and views. And you know... If the initial weekend of the Trump presidency is any indication, Aaron is not going to lack 
for material thought, on Mondays. I thought last year was easy with the election. This is, I mean, you're going to have to start paying me less. Did I say that out loud? I mean, it's just so easy to get uh, content for this. Segment. Yes. And, and there is some good content, by the way, some good things, some good trend lines. And then there is some not so good things. In other words, we're in the era of Trump, the era of good Trump and bad Trump, more cowbell. And then, yeah, when you, know, you get rid of all of the personality, he does some stuff that you actually like. So we'll get into all of that uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. I want to begin, though, with a piece that I've got posted up on our Facebook wall. That to one of the better reporters I've interacted with over the years, Tim Alberta, used to work at National Review. And he has moved over to Politico. And his first piece there is a massive expose on the future of Ted Cruz. And it quotes several people, including yours truly. It actually tells me some things about what's going on in Cruz World that uh, I'm not, you know, like on the in the inner sanctum at this point. There's not a campaign going on. He's a senator in Washington. I'm in Iowa. I mean, I'm loosely aware of what goes on. I have a lot of friends in this world, but it's not like, you know, I'm in the inner sanctum of uh, of, of who's making decisions at this time. So I, I read a lot of stuff that if Tim's reporting is accurate, I didn't even know. So I found it to be really interesting. And that's why I posted it, because I I think it's worthy of a read. I know a lot of you that are listening to us tonight first found our show through this last primary cycle and the massive amount of support and grassroots organization that Ted Cruz had around the country. So and and you've just stuck with our show since then, and we appreciate that. You're going to want to read this. But before you do, I want to issue a disclaimer. Where I would quibble with Tim, and I do think Tim's a good reporter, and headline most of the time, and I say this as a writer myself, I get paid to do stories like this. Most of the time, you don't write your own headlines. You're often asked to suggest one, to put one on your offering, like I do that when I submit a column to USA Today. Uh, I would say most of the time at Conservative Review, they take my headline suggestions or variations of them, but not all the time. Um, at USA Today, they almost never do, <laughs> right? But, you know, it depends on the, on the publication. You're asked to submit a suggested headline, but, uh, you know, there's separate people that get paid to put the publication together, to put the site together, to edit it, to put the headlines on there. So I don't know if a reference to um, the new Ted Cruz, uh, meet the new Ted Cruz is the headline on the Politico story. I don't know if that's Tim's suggestion or not, because when you read Tim's story, I think that he actually does a very accurate job of describing this tension that a guy like Ted Cruz now finds himself in, which is unavoidable because the environment's changed. And that's the point I want to make to start this morning. I don't think there's a new Ted Cruz. I, I mean, we, we saw Ted Cruz stand up last week with Lindsey Graham on MSNBC, uh, and, and we got a chuckle out of that. But Ted Cruz didn't move his positions to get Lindsey Graham to do that. Lindsey Graham did. Ted Cruz has always been... Hey, Lindsey Graham, when he, when he somewhat endorsed Ted during the primary because he hates Trump so much, Cruz didn't change any of his positions to get Lindsey Graham's endorsement, but he gladly accepted it. Ted's always been willing to work with people that, in a way that doesn't require him moving his positions. He's a free trader. He wrote a piece during the primary with Paul Ryan defending free trade. 
So Ted's always been a guy that if if our principles line up, in this particular instance, we can work together regardless of what has gone on before this point or what may happen after or what other principles we don't share. He's always been like that. That's a misnomer. What is changing, though, is not Ted Cruz. Now, he may change. I don't know. I don't see the future. He would not be the first person that Washington changed if it were to happen. On our show, we used to call it, we haven't used this term in a while, we used to call it RCV, ruling class virus, an an airborne contagion with no known cure other than term limits, which forcibly remove you from this toxic environment against your own will because you won't do it yourself. Everybody loves Jim DeMint for walking away from the Senate. He went down the street to the Heritage Foundation. Guy, still there. All right, he's doing some good work there, but let's not make it look like he just said, I've had enough of Washington, I'm out of here. He just went down the street, guys. Have you ever been to Washington? I have. It's Heritage. I've spoken at Heritage. It's literally down the street from the Capitol. He went down the street, guys. Okay. Still there. There's something about Washington, and once you, once you get immersed within it, no matter your ideology, you seemingly find any way whatsoever to remain a part of it. The heightened sense of of relevancy, the delusions of grandeur, let alone adequacy. Notions of importance are ingrained in the culture in Washington. That's why I go there as inoften as I possibly can. Do you guys know how many invitations to go to Washington I've actually turned down? All right, because I'm I, people, well, Steve, you'd think you're better than us. No, it's the fact that I know that I'm not. I love that crap. Love it. That's why I have to stay away from it, guys. Me staying away as, as often as I can is, is, is an acknowledgement of my weakness, not an exertion of my superiority. My ego freaking loves it. I could I could marinate in that crap. Love it. That's why I have to stay away. So Cruz may change. Wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. I, but that's not what is happening right now. May happen in the future, but what's happening right now is a lesson that I had to learn in politics a long time ago. And it's something, gentlemen, we've even talked about off the air before. There is one thing in politics you cannot fight. You cannot fight. No principle can defeat it. No ideology can defeat it. No populist wave can defeat it. And that's the environment. You can have all the emotions, the demands, the masses you want. But an environment doesn't change. It is a force of nature. Similar to it's January 23rd. I went outside here in the Midwest with a muscle shirt and Bermuda shorts. No matter how much my emotions would demand, my sensibilities would demand that it is summer. If I exposed myself in this weather thusly for a long enough amount of time, no matter how much I desire it, will the weather change? No, it will not. It'll change me, though. Start getting a runny nose, run an attempt, maybe some frostbite. It'll change me because I have to acknowledge the environment. Now, just because I can't change an environment doesn't mean I can't figure out, though, how to thrive within it. Again, let's use the winter analogy. I can put the right tires on my vehicle. I can buy a four-wheel drive. I can wear warm warm clothing. I can learn, like Todd does, to ski. I can go snowboarding like Aaron does. 
Meaning, I can't change the environment, but I can concoct ways to turn it to my advantage. Like it or not, it is a Trumpian environment. It is Trump's world, and the rest of us are merely living in it. There is no political capital other than self-immolation for Ted Cruz to be fighting Donald Trump at this point. It doesn't, do an, it doesn't accomplish anything at all. Marco Rubio's sin today is not that he says he'll vote for Rex Tillerson. It's that he put on this song and dance of pretending not to and then turning around and doing it. Because it was a fool's errand to oppose him probably from the beginning. Because it's Trump's world right now. Now that environment may change. And when it does, it'll be time for you to change your tactics. But the environment doesn't change. It changes you. You're listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. Coming up a little bit later on in hour two, we're going to take an in-depth look at Trump's cabinet. We're going to look at some of the most important picks that he made and ask ourselves, has he really drained the swamp? Because that, that's really the number one reason people voted for him. Whether you were on the Trump train early on or you begrudgingly got on during the general or you just went into the polling booth and realized the country can't afford a third term of Hillary Clinton at the last minute. You went along with this despite whatever reservations may have emerged during the campaign, unless you're just in the cult. But that's really not a lot of you. Uh, Most of you went along with this because in the end, you just we need something different in Washington. So are we when you strip the persona away? Are we getting something different? We'll look at his top-level cabinet picks and assess that coming up next hour. But the rest of this hour, we're going to talk weekend news and views, get you caught up on the headlines we all may have missed while enjoying the weekend. And Aaron... The floor is yours. Thank you, Steve. We'll uh, start with the uh, biggest news. Well, at least the news that dominated most of the headlines. This story is from Reuters, and it's about the Women's March. Hundreds of thousands of women, many with husbands, boyfriends, and children in tow, filled the streets of several major U.S. cities on Saturday in an unprecedented wave of mass protests against President Donald Trump the day after his inauguration. Women activists galvanized by Trump campaign rhetoric and behavior they found to be especially misogynistic spearheaded scores of U.S. marches and sympathy rallies around the world that organizers say drew nearly five million protesters in all. The demonstrations, far surpassing crowd expectations, according to organizers, highlighted strong discontent over Trump's comments and policy positions towards a wide range of groups, including Mexican immigrants, Muslims, the disabled, and environmentalists. The planned centerpiece of the protests, a women's march on Washington, appeared to draw a larger crowd than turned out a day earlier to witness Trump's swearing-in on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Many at these rallies wore knitted pink uh, cat-eared hats 
They named them something else uh, and appropriated references to Trump's boast in a 2005 video that he made uh, that was made public weeks before the election about grabbing women's genitals. This is a very, very uh, whitewashed description of these events. If you watched or saw any of the pictures, it's not nearly as glowing as this story and many in the main, mainstream media made it out to be. There were several very inappropriate signs, uh, just as you would expect with feminist marches. And uh, then, of course, in a lot of places, these signs and a lot of trash was just left for others to clean up as well. I'm not going to address any of those aspects of this, if that's okay for a moment. I, I want to address this. Can I put my consultant hat on for a moment? I'm going to. I, I think whether we like it or not, our side of this argument at this point in time in some way, shape, or form, is intertwined with Donald Trump. It's unavoidable. No matter how much we try to detach it, it's the perception that exists in the country. So even if you are a Trump skeptic, as I have been all along, um, well, not all along, as I came to be uh, early in the primary, I should not, let's, let's, let's not give alternative facts, okay? Uh, early in the primary, I was not. And then as we got more of a look at what Donald Trump really was, then I became so. And then was throughout the entire last half of the primary and throughout the general. But I just gave this, this perspective on environment. The environment right now has our fate, if you are any form of a conservative, at some point intertwined with his. So let me give some advice. Don't. Don't. Whatever you're thinking of doing to rail against this, to dismiss this, don't. Don't. The best way to snuff out a fire is to deny it oxygen. This protest is a reaction. Some of these reactions are valid because some of their concerns are things we were concerned about during the campaign. Now, their reactions to those concerns, as Aaron has pointed out in his story, and as we've seen many of these pictures, and I tweeted out uh, Shia LaBeouf, the actor, his antics. If it was me, I'd have throw punched him right there. I mean, you guys would have. You, the headline would have been "Talk Show Host Lays Out 180 Pound uh, Pretend Bully." Okay, I, I mean, I, I just can't believe. God bless that guy who just sat there and took that. I could not have. I know I'm commanded to turn the other cheek. Jesus, take the wheel. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, that dude would have been grabbing for. Uh, that dude would have needed a thicker Kevlar vest than Jordy Nelson wore yesterday if he tried that on me. I couldn't have handled it. I'd have forgot my Jesus. And giving him some what for. I'm just being honest. We all have our crosses to bear. That is mine. Still, don't. This has the potential to be their Tea Party movement. And unlike in the case of the Tea Party, which had to create fundraising mechanisms to keep it going, they have multiple multiple millionaires and billionaires in the progressive circles that can write massive checks to this. 
to take it beyond anything the Tea Party could dare to accomplish. And right now, you can tell the Democrat hierarchy is not sure how to react to this by the fact none of it went there. But all went to curry favor with David Brock of Media Matters scam instead over the weekend. He had an enclave and a bunch of them went down there to curry favor with him. So they're not really sure how to embrace this yet. Want to make Madonna, I want to blow up the White House, want to make that a story? Don't give him a counter story. I wouldn't react to it. Let your fellow Americans have their say. Let them vent. Now, the time may come that we may have to react to this, but that time is not now. Don't feed the animals, to borrow an expression. A lot of us want to think this is just a post-election tantrum. Well, one way it will not be is if we dismiss it, if we give it oxygen, if we mock it. We will feed their zeitgeist. Don't. Don't give them a straw man. Don't give them a counter. They had their say over the weekend. Move the headline, have the March for Life this coming weekend, and move on, Todd. Do not give this oxygen, but see instead if it will burn itself out. Yeah, to the extent that this is a kill the babies march you have the natural response it's been there for how many years steve it's obviously far less covered but this weekend is the opportunity to address it without addressing it but i i will say this we've been told for how many years now steve that gender is fluid we're spending a lot of time spending on the specificity of the female gender this weekend didn't we we did in fact do you know who i thought had the perfect response to this it's going to shock you. I'll, I'll tell you here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. If it's true and you still don't like it, that's a you problem. You're listening to Steve Dace. You know who reacted to this? It's And it's not a women's march. 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump. Okay? This is a progressive backlash march. That's what it is. I thought Donald Trump had the perfect reaction to this on his Twitter account, of all places. America is a country that champions freedom and dissent. As long as you're willing to have peaceful protests, you can have your say, is basically what he said. Now, I don't believe for a million years he tweeted that. Because he doesn't talk like that in any other context via his Twitter account. I mean, you pretty much know if there's not an exclamation point or it doesn't end with the word sad, Trump didn't actually write that tweet. But props to Ivanka. Whoever whoever said, hey, 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 pops, we got this one. Or Jared. Okay? That's Jared. Whoever it is. All right, whoever in the family said, hey, Dad, we got this one, okay? Mui bien. That's the right way to play it. Don't feed the animals. Don't give them a straw man. Don't give them something to play off of. Because, see, right now, they don't have any policy. Barack Obama essentially went 
pedal to the metal on all of their policy dreams the last eight years. And as Gallup has recently pointed out, the American people believe we have lost ground on virtually every single one of those issues. So as we like to talk on the show that Trump needs a straw man, so do they. So do they. They need one too. Don't be the Meryl Streep. You want to have the other side have the Meryl Streep. You want to be the one reacting to their Meryl Streep. You don't want to give them their own Meryl Streep to react to. Right now they are scattered. Their side doesn't know whether these are protests. Their leadership of their side doesn't know whether these are protests to latch on to or not. If you give them a straw man, you will create a unifying force and you will bring them together to your own detriment. Right now, your opposition is largely coastal progressives who believe in using government to punish their political party or their political opponents, and that's why they're at the lowest representation in the country since before the Great Depression. You want to keep them there. The number one way, gentlemen, you will not keep them there, however, is if you give them a galvanizing presence for them to rally around. Well, Steve, don't they already have that in Donald Trump? Except the way they react to Trump actually feeds Trump because they react with Meryl Streep. That's why I said, don't give them their Meryl Streep. Don't give it to them. You know, you heard maybe your mama taught you when you were a kid, the best revenge is living well. You ever heard that saying? Mm-hmm. In this case, the best revenge is governing well. It doesn't matter what the crowd was at the inauguration. Because every time Trump puts his signature next to a presidential seal, it has every bit as much power as anybody else that had that office, whether they packed the Washington Mall or not. None of that is relevant. What is relevant, if you want to shut these people down, govern well. Let them have their say, and then just turn right around and get rid of their regulations. Let them have their say, and then just turn right around and defund Planned Parenthood. Let them have their say. You see what I'm saying? And just just let them have their say. Be gracious in public. And then when the when the scepter is passed to you, use it appropriately. Govern right. That's the best revenge talk. Now, there's all kinds of people who voted for Trump that aren't part of Trump cult that would perhaps counter by saying, but Steve, we have we're winning the rhetorical force of these arguments right now i mean the america chose us right now why shouldn't we continue to step on throats like that i think you answered my question but i want to be sure i think you're saying governing is different from what we did yes to win the election i am suggesting you step on throats but the reality is life only affords you so much political capital no matter who you are do you want to spend it responding to these people or do you want to spend it responding to these people which would you rather have it's not how many throats you step on it's which ones you that's exactly right that's right you want to waste your political capital reacting to madonna waste your time on that's the point or do you want to get up the next morning and say you know what crack your knuckles you know i think we're gonna move that that embassy to jerusalem it's tuesday why not why not you know what i think we're gonna i think we're gonna get rid of about 75 percent of these regulations as trump said to a ceo breakfast today that's how you step on their throats You have to get out of campaign mode now. If you don't get out of campaign mode, you won't get the government that you want. The true power comes not in, you may, and Trump may have acquired, may have acquired on behalf of you, this power because of the power of his persona. But, but, but now you want him to use the power, not the power of his persona, the power of his office. That's how you step 
on their throats. Don't give them their bitter clinger statement that they can rally behind for the next four years. Don't give that to them. Just go out there and keep your promises. More on that here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. All right, more weekend news and views. I'm going to resist the temptation here. I I know everybody else wants to get into the whole Sean Spicer thing. I'm going to resist this temptation because it's, 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 you know, 940 something Eastern time PM. And you guys have heard this show all day by the time we get on the air. And the reality is that the, the number one Spicer's just Sean Spicer is not the kind of person that you rally behind. Sean Spicer's the kind of person that you went to Trump because you can't stand, okay? So to, to watch him stand out there and read a prepared statement and humiliate his own integrity, Chris Christie style, almost endears Trump to me more, all right? If Trump's going to do Sean Spicer like he did Chris Christie, I'm grabbing the tub corn. And, the, and so Spicer's not a good guy, and he lied. And the media is not concerned that Trump lied. Those of us who supported alternate candidates in the primary sat here and watched Trump lie, tell lie after lie after lie about our guys, didn't we? The media never corrected it. They just laughed, joked, gave him more free, uh, free airtime. They're not upset that Trump lied. They're upset that Trump would dare to claim he's more loved than fearless leader Obama. That's what they're upset about. So, so we're going to let everybody else talk about that. We're going to let Spicer and the media, the, the, you know, who deserve each other, uh, and, and something tells me we'll have plenty of time, however long Spicer lasts in this capacity, to, to do this story anyway. I actually want to talk about what really matters in the vein of what we were just describing, Aaron. That the best revenge is governing well. And there are some early trend lines from the first weekend that show that Trump, that Trump may indeed keep some of his most important promises. Well, it started on Friday, Steve, when he uh, signed that pretty just largely symbolic executive order regarding Obamacare, easing the burden of Obamacare. That was the start. And then there were reports over the weekend that the United States is indeed going to move its Israeli embassy or its embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That's according to Channel 2 out of uh, Israel. There's also reports out there that are uh, unconfirmed that architects have already been set uh, to Jerusalem to start designing a uh, a new embassy there as well. Sean Spicer was asked about this, and he said that uh, the administration really is examining the subject. Then, uh, on Monday, earlier today, uh, Donald Trump said he's going to start unraveling the behemoth trade deal he inherited from his predecessor. That would be TPP, or the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The executive order sends signals to Democrats and leaders in foreign capitals around the world that Trump's rhetoric on trade during the campaign is now turning into action. The TPP was negotiated under for former President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama. 
Um, doesn't that feel nice to say? It was never ratified by Congress, though. So uh, withdrawing from it's not really going to have much of an effect. But just a few things from over the weekend that Trump really is, um, really is so far keeping his word. And they've apparently notified Mexico and Canada that they're. Oh yes, to, uh, the uh, Mexico City law, I think is. Well, I was referring in this case to NAFTA. Oh, okay, gotcha. That they are going to reassess and they want to renegotiate NAFTA. And the international defunding of Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. which is the Mexico City provision, was yep. reinstated. So those are all good signs, Todd. I don't know how you can take them as anything other than good signs. And it goes back to something I said the day after the election. We are going to have to train ourselves not to react to every soundbite, to every tweet, and recognize that this will be a White House that will communicate differently than any other, for better or for worse. And you're going to have to sit back and look at what he actually does when he does those things and, and, and temper yourself, train yourself to restrain yourself to not overreact to whatever zigzagged, jigsaw, uh, broken road between the start and ending point of those destinations. I think a case in point is like almost seconds after he took the oath of office, somebody back at the White House took down from the White House website yeah. something concerning LGBT issues and, and climate change. Yeah. But I think that that's like a matter of course you just kind of scrub every website. So and furthermore even regardless of what it is it you that can't you cannot be all giddy about that at the end of the day because that's the kind of thing Trump may end up just kind of buying us off psychologically with things like that that ultimately don't change things now on the fiscal on the matters of trade though uh, you said I don't know how anybody can disagree with that there I Broadly speaking, there's uh, from National Review, uh, Charles C.W. Cook, Ben Shapiro has pointed out uh, issues concerning Trump and free trade. So there is um, a level of discontent on uh, Trump's moves with that this morning within conservative circles that we respect. Those are not things he can enact unilaterally. He can he can he can rattle a lot of sabers where that's concerned, but he but he can't just enact those things unilaterally. Those would have to be done legislatively. And so I, I will be very surprised if there is ever a piece of legislation submitted in the United States Congress to impose this kind of a tariff scheme. I think a lot of this is the use of the bully pulpit um, to threaten, to intimidate, um, uh, to leverage companies, especially because we've also seen Trump give away goodies to companies negotiate goodies for them to stay so i i think this is this is a this is a heavy-handed negotiating tactic now what will happen is at some point someone may call his bluff and what does he do then if they do does he ramp up the goodies the incentives for them does or 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 does but i would be i shouldn't say shocked I'll just say this. I don't believe there's ever going to be a piece of legislation sitting in a committee in Congress to be voted on with this kind of a tariff scheme. I don't think it will ever happen. I think this is all a negotiating ploy. You look at me with suspicion. No. I'm, it be, I think you're summing up this is step one, step two, in a multi-step process of the art of the deal on some level. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I, I appreciate what you said about uh, psychologically buying us off with things like scrubbing references to Rainbow Jihad and 
um, you know, uh, global warming off of the White House uh, website. It, it still is somewhat nice to know that uh, just by the timing of this, there is no hemming and hawing about, oh, we'll leave this on or in, in some form or, or another. This was immediate. This was, you know, we're not going to mess around with this at all. So at least there is something there. But yeah, don't don't read too much into, into scrubbing references like that off of the website. We'll come back more in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Want your country back? Keep listening for instructions. This is Steve Dace. Now, let me also say this. I, I don't think. That every time we have these sorts of blowups, I don't think it's four-dimensional chess, either. Okay, and I don't. And and I think you would all do yourself a favor to not buy into that. You, you have a man that, through the course of his life, has shown an extreme lack of self-restraint. And while in some areas showing an extreme lack of of or an, or an extreme show of restraint, like never drank, never done drugs, never smoked. That's great. Um, but he's had an unrestrained sexuality most of his life by his own admission. He's even written that down. So you're not dealing with a man. You're dealing with a man that even in his own, in, in his own private behavior is capricious. He's mercurial. He goes to some extreme on things most Americans do on a casual level, like drinking, smoking, etc. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, he he's an admitted fast food glutton, doesn't work out, and um, and likes to grab him by the you-know-what. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to – I think you're going to be better off if you just don't project false things on him negatively or positively and just see him for what he is, both the good and the bad. I don't think all of this is. I don't think Sean Spicer was sent out there as a, over the weekend to read that ridiculous statement as a means of distracting from anything. I think that's the same response to his ego being assaulted we've always seen from the likes of Donald Trump. That's all. It just so happens that the media is so feckless that their behavior creates this dynamic. They're so interested. Every time the Pavlov rings his bell, they come. This is a dysfunctional relationship between these two. But it's one, again, that we can use to our advantage because the end result, the end result of Trump using the first weekend of, the White, of, of, of him in the White House to defend his id and the media using the first weekend of Trump in the White House to demand Trump admit Obama was more loved eight years ago than you are now. This is not four-dimensional chess. These are damaged people bringing their brokenness to the surface, and their, and, the, and their brokenness is clashing very publicly. The end result, though, is nobody really did a look at Neil Gorsuch over the weekend and his judicial views. Nobody really took a look at that. The only people overreacting to Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem speak Arabic. 
Okay, you see my point? So I don't believe it's four-dimensional chess. I think it's just a guy that has shown the same lascivious brokenness, Todd, that has been there most of his adult life. And the media showing the same bias that has been there most of our adult lives. And now these two damaged entities are clashing. But the end result of that can be used to our advantage. Because it does... Their damaged nature plays off of each other and does allow us to get away with some things that in the past maybe we could not have. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number two is underway here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Monday night, second hour, we're joined by our customary guest this time of the week. Bob Vanderplatz is here from The Family Leader. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. Good to be here. Congratulations on C-SPAN being in with cameras to watch what you're saying. Make sure you really exist. Uh, indeed. And, and make sure that, uh, that Todd even knows how to wash his hair. He made that happen. <laughs> Some people are mistaking that for a haircut. I just want to confirm for America. It was a, uh, just a good old-fashioned washing. About once a year, Todd, whether you like it or not, right? That's how we roll over with the Urzen household. Yeah, my wife uh, has has few rules, so I get away with murder a lot of the time. But uh, national television, she said, "Don't things. embarrass me on national television." There it was. Yeah, yeah. Keep that. Keep keep it at home. Keep the stank at home, but don't embarrass me on national TV. So well, thank you very much. Congratulations, nonetheless. It is odd to, to have C-SPAN call you up and say, "Hey, we want to come out to where you're at uh, the night before the inauguration to gauge the mood of the country," because. You're never really sure how much of the country you're actually talking to, but uh, uh, we appreciated that opportunity. They did a great job. Uh, they were low maintenance, um, professional. And, and what did you say to me afterwards, Todd? I mean, when you look at how quickly they put this together and moved it, and they came here to do an entire radio show, and they 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 didn't come to us till like a week before the show. What did you say to me afterwards? Imagine if the entire government moved with the precision yeah. that C-SPAN moves with. And you don't hear that every day. No. And it was one person. One person, too. One person did the whole thing. Oh, that's great. Brought in all their studio equipment she did. She flew out here with it and everything else. She did the whole thing. A a broadcast of of that magnitude, she did the whole thing by herself. Imagine if government worked like that. Well, I think on a bigger level, it's a great recognition for uh, you, your voice, your program, Aaron, and and Todd here as well, and what they contribute to the show, saying, uh, let's communicate this out to the entire country. So uh, congrats. Thank you. It was uh, it was really a cool moment for us. And I mean, the amount of uh, reaction we got to it was incredible. So really do appreciate that. Thank you to C-SPAN. We were honored to be a part of that. And um, it, I don't know that they'll ever come back again. We, 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 we probably use some colloquialisms that are, are not typically 
Um, well, the first caller did. <laughs> yeah, first caller uh, uses uh, Paul's preferred word in uh, in his letter to the Philippians for 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 poop, uh, and um, uh, so that set the tone, and we were off and running. From and you there. thought I can go to that level real quick? No. I, I, in fact, if anything, that caller did us a favor. It made us seem like we were more highbrow. You're, you're raising the bar. Raising the bar. Yeah, you surround yourself with the worst people so that people think you're great. Right? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was a great time. We had a lot of fun with it. They did a great job. So, again, thank you to C-SPAN. So, we are now past the first weekend of the Trump era. And um, I didn't want to get into this too much in the first hour. And I don't really want to spend too much time on it now. But the f- it's fascinating that already you can see there's no pacing. There's no wait for it. There's no... Uh, let's at least pretend to understand the solemn occasion uh, that uh, is undergoing in the country at the moment. And, and you know, lost in the shuffle of the ridiculousness of what transpired this weekend, and we pointed this out last hour and we spent most of our time talking about that instead, is that there actually are, are f- several signs that emerged over the weekend that Trump is serious about keeping his campaign pledges, whether you agree with them all or not, but that he, was, that he is serious about keeping them. Uh, the move that was made today on TPP, the move that was made today on NAFTA, the, the move that uh, the Israeli news are reporting anyway, that uh, we are going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the the reinst- the reinstatement of the Mexico City policy. So, I mean, th- those are things that uh, they they didn't hesitate to move on. That were all things that were promised during the campaign, and and that's getting lost in the shuffle. That's why I don't believe this is always four dimensional chess. Mm-hmm. Because just as just as the the use of of the platform of a campaign or your Twitter account or the White House to to um, defend your id to defend your ego can can force the other side to lose its message. It can force you to do the same. And so I, I wonder how much of because I don't listen to a lot of uh, conservative radio before I come on the air at night, but I would be willing to guess most of my peers spent the vast majority of their time today talking to Trump's base about. Uh, yeah, he stuck it to the man and the media. And without highlighting the fact, you know, this guy's actually kept several, he's in the process of keeping several promises that he made to you. But we are so stuck in this mode of we are defined only by what we are against that when the guy comes along and starts actually doing the stuff we said we, we, that many of us said we were for, a lot of people are like, oh, well, tell me more about it. He stuck it to Jake Tapper, man, because that's really what it's all about, you know. And, and is that something to be concerned about? Well, well, it, it is. And I, I wish I could say this was four-dimensional chess, uh, that this was all part of an orchestrated thing. I don't think it is. But you're right. He, he's making some strong moves. Matter of fact, when he gave his speech, what, what impressed me, and, and I understand people saying, well, conservatism is gone and all that. But what impressed me, being on that platform, with three former presidents and basically saying this day's over calling him out on on stage i'm saying that's pretty bold and he did not divert from who he was on the campaign trail of giving the inauguration address saying this is who we are we're giving it back to you it's going to be about bold leadership and and we're not going to wait for it and i think what you saw today he's not waiting for it so on that part quite frankly i'm excited about it 
You're right. When we start arguing about, okay, what was the size of the inauguration crowd? Hey, wait a minute. You're president of the United States now. Who cares what the size of the inauguration crowd is? You're president of the United States. Let's lead. And let's talk about the leadership versus all these other things that distract us. To me, I I don't think it's four-dimensional chess, as I just said and you agreed with. I think it is a guy who's been largely driven by his ego most of his life. Uh, I think it's a media that's been largely driven by fecklessness most of our lives. And I think the damagedness of both of those entities, it, when you put them under the searing spotlight of the, of the most powerful office on planet Earth, it's not going to take long for it to manifest itself and to clash. And it happened right away. So sans Sean Spicer, whom neither one of us is a huge fan of, goes out there with a prepared script reading a statement, which, by the way, I have to say, if, if Trump's going to do Sean Spicer the way he did Chris Christie, I'm all in on that. Okay, I mean, and if, 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 the, if, if, we're, if this goal, if this guy's just going to get humiliated, I'll watch. So he sends him out there uh, with, a, with a statement to, to basically say, my hands aren't, I, I don't have tiny hands. And the, and, and the media says they care about the, tr- the Trump's lying. You and I sat here during this primary and watched Trump lie about Ted Cruz and every other primary candidate day after day after day after day. And these people didn't give a rip. They just gave him more free pub, more, they laughed, they thought it was funny, they, they, and they just played his, the full course of his rallies unedited once more. This isn't about the truth for them. This is about how dare you claim that you're more loved than fearless leader Obama was eight years ago, who the last question to Obama in his final White House press conference from a reporter ended with the phrase, and I quote, it's been an honor, sir, unquote. That's what this is really about. It's not the truth. It's just how dare you claim you're more loved than fearless leader was. And so I don't think I don't think it's four dimensional chess at all. I just think I think it's two damaged entities that just didn't take long to clash. Well, I think you have a couple things going here. Number one is you have a media that in the primary definitely propped him up, thinking that if we can prop him up and he gets to be the nominee, Hillary Clinton definitely beats him in the general election. Then the general election, they do everything they can to take this guy down, to tear him down. He goes after the press. He beats Hillary Clinton. Now they're not going to let up. Their their still aim is I'm going to take him down and we're going to bait him. The other part about Donald Trump, uh, people talk about his ego and all that all they want. This is what he's done. He's built an enterprise basically large on Trump name on the side of a building. Mm -hmm. Trump this, Trump that. And so now that he's president, that isn't going to go away overnight. No. Now, I would like for it to be, you're president of the United States, dude. It doesn't matter anymore. Just lead on the policies and and on the vision. In his defense, in his inaugural address, he used a first-person pronoun a total of four times. Mm Mm-hmm. And he used we and our, I think I counted three or four dozen times. I thought he was really good at that. And saying, we're giving this country back to you. The powers and we, the people. This isn't just mine. We this give it is back yours. to you. Yes. The people. <laughs> Gotham is yours. There was a certain Bane at, let's not, let's come on. There was a certain Bane I, I did read that. And I it, did right? laugh at that. I saw that Twitter and I thought, well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Here's the thing, though. Um, I... I, I I think, and this goes back to something we talked about the day after the election, I think all of us are going to have to train ourselves not to react to every soundbite, talking point, because this will be a White House that communicates unlike any other. And I think you really have to wait for the end react, the end product before reacting, because it's going to be an awfully broken road between those two points, don't you think? I agree. All right, well, when we come back, I want to take a look at Trump's cabinet and see... Is this truly personnel that is going to drain the swamp in Washington? And I want to get Bobby Interplatz a stake next. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with Bob Vanderplatz of The Family Leader here on The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we are moving to CRTV in February. Use the promo code DACE, that's my name, D-E-A-C-E. Sign up now, you get the uh, substantial early bird discount so that you can watch our show live. That's right, I said watch it live. If you if you, if you you hated us on C-SPAN, you're going to hate us all the more every single day on CRTV. You can watch it live. Yes, you'll be able to have the uh, podcast audio archive afterwards as well. You don't want to miss an episode, go to CRTV.com, use promo code DACE. As we join the star-studded lineup that includes Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Mark Stein, Stephen Crowder, and then they decided to give us a shot. So, because every every little league team needs a Chico's bail bonds, they will put us on CRTV again. That's coming in February. Use promo code Dace to subscribe. More congratulations! Yeah, you know, I forgot all about that until uh, you just mentioned that with with the promo there. Congratulations on CRTV! What a neat honor! Just to go, just to show again how compassionate of a country we have. There is apparently an audience for watching us. Or at least it. CRTV is is about to find out that there's not. One of the other is going to take place. All right, so I want to look at Trump's cabinet. All right, this is uh, based off an in-depth piece I put together for, for conservative review today. Now, when we look at Trump's cabinet, some of our, you know, we're doing this from a perspective of conservative. So some of this is ideological. But, the, but ideology is not the primary vetting tool of looking at this cabinet. Because... There's a mishmash of ideologies in Trump's cabinet. The one thing they all seem to have in common is all of them seem to have resumes of actual accomplishment. Okay? That's a good starter. That's a good starter, depending on what it was they were accomplishing. Yes. Okay? So, I mean, I had somebody email me last week, hey, is it better to have a nuclear physicist in head of the running the Department of Energy or the uh, the former governor of Texas who's in the pocket of big oil? And I said, well, it depends on the worldview of the nuclear physicist and the former governor of Texas who's in the pockets of big oil. Right? So resume and accomplishment is great, depending on what you were actually accomplishing, right? So we're looking at it, though, through the lens of why people voted for Trump. And, and the reason he developed a base right away is people thought, we need something different. We need somebody with the personality to break up the rigor mortis in Washington. Agreed? Agreed. Stipulated that even, cons- even the- there weren't a lot of conservatives that got on board early on with Trump, but the few that did, did so because they were under the belief that Washington is so corrupt that it requires a personality like Trump to break that up before we even start talking about introducing conservatism. Would we stipulate to that as well? I, I would. Matter of fact, when you take a look at some of his uh, primary opponents and their campaign managers, the people that uh, did their polling, they said they quickly found out. America was not in the mood for just these lofty solutions right now. They were in the mood for someone to say, no, I'm going to tear it down. They were looking we for rebe- something visceral. Yeah. And, and they and they found that in, in, in Donald Trump, he candidate Trump, now President Trump. Sure. So that's the lens, and if and if you if you were one of those people, I can't believe this guy would ever be president. And then you walked in the la- the day of the election and thought, we just can't have a third term of Obama. I know he's nuts, but at least this will be something different. See, that's the theme. If you got on the board, you got on the train right away. If you got on after he was the nominee. If you got on at the last minute. Except if you were just devoted to his cult of personality, which is deep, but not really a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Most people voted for Donald Trump because we needed something different, even if we couldn't define what different was. So we're vetting this cabinet through the lens of, is this status quo? 
or is this draining the swamp? You okay with that? I'm very okay. Matter of fact, when you're talking about that, I think what people were, Steve, they felt ignored. They felt disrespected. Exactly. You know, forgotten. My voice doesn't matter anymore. And doggone it, this New York billionaire is saying what I wanted to say for a long time. He's our voice. All right. So let's take a look at the most prominent positions in the cabinet because we don't have time to do them all. Sure. Let's start with Secretary of State. Now, here's Rex Tillerson, former chairman and CEO of ExxonMobil. Um, I got to believe he's the only U.S. cabinet nominee in history who's ever received the Russian Order of Friendship. I, I cannot believe anybody else. I can't, and I can't even imagine what would happen when you and I were growing up if a Democrat had run, had, had gotten, if Jimmy Carter had said, you know, what do we think? Hey, let's give this guy with the Russian Order of Friendship a cabinet post. Can you only imagine the cows that would be birthed on our side with that? Uh, he's also a strong advocate for child killing. He's a strong advocate for the rainbow jihad. In essence, he is, in my view, he is the status quo. Because the status quo in, in Washington pri- prior to Trump's arrival was cor- global corporatism and moral progressivism. He's the embodiment of that. So in my view, this is a status quo pick. I think this is somebody who the mainstream of either party could have found a place in their cabinet for. You know, I, I, I can see where you're coming from with Tillerson on that. What I'm looking at is that we, we don't know how he's going to lead you. I mean, I understand what you just said. Being the head of Exxon Oil, uh, you you had to be the art of making deals. You had to make deals. Getting the the Russian Friendship Award, of course he's going to do business. So he was in the the business of doing business with these countries. You're right. I, I'm very disturbed by his worldview when it comes to abortion, when it comes to uh, marriage and sexuality and those types of things. Um, that's one of those things that I look at Tillerson and said, I, I don't know, because I don't know what he will do in this arena, other than what he did for Exxon uh, and Big Oil. Let's look at defense. Now you have James Madison, Mattis coming in. Uh, he last served as commander of the U.S. of U.S. CENTCOM. Uh, he believes, and this is what he said in his testimony, that uh, America has suffered, quote, strategic atrophy under Obama, that Russia is the top threat to U.S. national security, that Obama's nuclear deal with Iran was imperfect, but it must be enforced, that Islamic State must be defeated in head-to-head battles of, quote, annihilation, unquote. He also said, though, during his hearings that he had no plans to roll back the politically correct social engineering of the military that was prioritized by Obama. Um, so here's my verdict on Mattis. There's a lot to like about him from a, a, a swamp draining standpoint, but I'm going to at this point give him an incomplete. Because even though there's a lot to like about Mattis's appointment, and he may end up getting more votes than any of Trump's cabinet picks uh, from both parties, I think you have to wait and see if he is really serious about leaving Obama's social engineering of the military in place, or if that's just a talking point to get through a confirmation. Because it's hard to argue that the swamp has truly been drained if that's going to be the case. Your thoughts? Well, you just summed up what I was going to say. Uh, There is so much to like about Mattis. And he's definitely shown he's a patriot, and he loves his country a great deal. But being in charge of the military, i got to believe he knows this social engineering experiment. I think Trump even went on record about basically, you know, we're done doing the social experiments with military. So to me, I almost took that as a talking point. Let's get through the Senate confirmation hearings. But I can't believe he doubles down on that. Or frankly, he just says that's status quo. I think he wants a, a military that's ready to perform based on the mission objective versus on some let's do this to be to be politically correct secretary of the treasury now again if you agree with me that corporate progr- corporate globalism and moral progressivism was the status quo in washington 
I mean, Steve Mnuchin, I mean, he's the definition of global globalist cuck that, that Trump's nationalist supporters made, that, that put down, they made popular online. 17-year Goldman Sachs veteran. In fact, he is one of six, a half dozen Goldman Sachs veterans in the Trump administration when Trump was hammering Goldman Sachs and Heidi Cruz for formerly working there. I forgot during, Heidi Cruz worked there. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> during the campaign. He even said two things he said during his confirmation hearings. You won't believe this, which is why I'll share them with you when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here at Bob Vanderplatz from the Family Leader. So we're looking at Trump's cabinet, talking about Steve Mnuchin, now the Secretary of the, or about to become the Secretary of the Treasury. And we're looking at these through the filter of, are they more conservative or are they not? We're not. We're looking at these through the filter of: Is this a change of the status quo? Are we draining the swamp? And and we're not even. Nor would we argue that this is not superior to what Hillary Clinton would have given us. I, I can't imagine anybody can make that case unless you're just a hardened ideological progressive. That's not what we're looking at. Well, there's really three lenses. One is you look through the lens of Hillary Clinton. Who would she nominate? Well, we know we don't want that. The other one is Donald Trump being the president. He's the leader. Will he be actually calling the shots on a lot of these issues? And they say, that's what President Trump wants. I'm executing. Or is it going to be, I'm going to be my own person? Where Trump's told them when they go into these hearings, you're your own person. You're your own, you're your own man, your own professional. You say what you believe versus what I want you to say. Well, Mnuchin, again, from Goldman Sachs, said, quote, he wanted to raise the debt ceiling, quote, sooner rather than later, unquote. And that the IRS actually needs to hire more people. That came out of his confirmation hearings. To me, this is, if, if, if it's not Tillerson, this is as status quo as it gets, your view. Well, this isn't a drain the swamp message. Uh, this is the people that voted for President Trump would not be saying, hey, let's raise the debt ceiling sooner than later. And they wouldn't be saying, hey, let's hire more people to the IRS. They'd be, let's close the door of the IRS. I mean, 2008, remember uh, Mike Huckabee saying, I want to be the president who puts the, uh, sorry, I'm closed on the IRS or that it's closed now. The same thing with Ted Cruz. These are the people that got ramped up about that. So to say we need to expand the IRS and its, and its influence and its number, as well as raise the debt ceiling, that's not a drain the swamp message. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Um, he got uh, the fake news beating uh, during his confirmation hearing. Uh, he was one of Trump's earliest prominent backers. It was the first time in his Senate career he had backed a GOP presidential candidate, in fact. Um, he has been a strong advocate on moral and cultural issues, rule of law issues. People look at his um, his liberty score at CR and notice it's 78%. Like, Steve, what's up with that? you got to look at the breakouts, and we provide those, okay? I think on on immigration issues and on social and moral issues, he's in, in over 90% on those issues. I think you got to – everybody has an – well, not everybody. I mean, if you look at Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, they don't seem to have any blind spots with their scores, but most guys do. And and where, you, where you've lost sessions in the past is on budget issues. He's voted for more big government, which when you're in a military state like Alabama makes – 
some sets. But on the issues where he would focus in on attorney general, he has been rock solid as a U.S. senator, which is why it was disconcerting to hear him say during his confirmation hearings that Obergefell and Roe v. Wade were the, quote, law of the land. Even though he said, even though he said Roe violated the Constitution, I, I don't. It's me. If the Constitution's the law of the land and you violated it, that means this is illegal. Nonetheless, because he has a record that some of the other guys we've talked about don't have, I'm going to give uh, Sessions the benefit of the doubt and say this is a swamp draining hire. Even though I think we need to keep an eye on. Uh, on those talking points he gave in his confirmation hearing and see if, again, that was grist for the mill to get past the, the Democrats and, and what he actually does once he's there at the Justice Department. Such a great pick. And I really believe he is one that will drain the swamp. I think you, me, I think the left, I think anybody listening to that and saying, you know, hey, Obergefell is the law of the land. Uh, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. Uh, frankly, I think everybody was shocked that that was even coming out of his mouth. I think he's probably saying, you know, give us a new court, a new day, a chance to have this argument once again. We will overturn this stuff. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tom Price, a six-term congressman, orthopedic surgeon from Georgia. Now, he's going to run the repeal point on Obamacare is what we're being told. Um, He's chaired the House Budget Committee for the past two years, which... May not necessarily be great because all they pretty much did was rubber stamp Obama's budgets. Uh, even though this is considered one of Trump's best cabinet picks by many, I'm going to give him an incomplete because I think we have to wait and see if Obamacare is truly repealed before we can say that the swamp has truly been drained. Yeah, I have high, I have high hopes uh, for Tom Price, and the reason is because he was on the repeal Obamacare early on and he stayed consistent he didn't waver on it i think the question there is that are we going to repeal it and uproot it and really make health care between the doctor and the patient make it affordable do health savings accounts put it across state lines do things that free enterprise and economics makes a lot of sense to do or are we going to replace it with another big government program just under a different name? So, again, this is another guy. When you look at his overall liberty score at CR and it's 62 percent, you have to look at the breakout. OK, on health care and entitlements. And I'm looking at it right now on health care and entitlements. Tom Price is at 83 percent. So, again, you have to look at our is he in a position where he's going to be ad, ad, doing administration on the areas where he has been strong or where he has been weak? This is an area where he has been strong. Now you have to see, though, if he's going to follow through. We'll continue taking a look at Trump's cabinet in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at SteveDace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back again here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Bob Vanderplatz here with us from the Family Leader, taking a look at the uh, the highest priority Trump cabinet picks. And is he draining the swamp, or is this the status quo? Let's go to education. Betsy DeVos is there. She immediately had to respond to um, charges that uh, she is a Common Core supporter. Uh, she's long been a charter school, school voucher advocate. Uh, she also sits on the board of Jeb Bush's Education Foundation, which is why people think she's a Common Core advocate. I'm going to give her verdict an incomplete, and here's why. 
she could have been picked by any generic Republican. The DeVosses are well connected within the Republican Party. So I, I could I could see any of the 17 Republicans who ran if they had gotten elected president making her their secretary of education, which which means she's not immediately a swamp drainer. But if she follows through on getting rid of Obama's gender bending madness in the schools and she becomes a champion for freedom and education, then I think this has the potential to be a swamp draining pick. I believe it will be a swamp draining pick because one is, you're right, she's been a big donor to a lot of candidates, Republican Party causes. She's been an advocate for school choice and voucher programs, freeing up parents to nurture their children. If she could just do that as well as what you said, get rid of this gender whatever bias that or whatever madness that you might have there. I think she has a real potential to lead and lead well in the Secretary of Education. Let's look at EPA. Scott Pruitt, rising conservative star as Attorney General in Oklahoma. He has fought for the constitutional view of federalism on a host of issues across the conservative spectrum, including EPA overreach under Obama. Pound for pound, this could very well be the best cabinet appointment that Donald Trump made. I think this is a clear swamp draining. Clearly agree. I think he he will be outstanding. Matter of fact, he's a little bit of a Ted Cruz there from Oklahoma, taking on a lot of issues from mm-hmm. a constitutional point of view. And what a better department to put him in charge of than the EPA. Chief of Staff, Reince Priebus, warm tongue of GOP party hacks. He is the sort of man Republican voters went running to Donald Trump in reaction to because he has exasperated them for so long, which is why it is ironic now. He has been given one of the most powerful positions in Washington. Traditionally, a chief of staff is the gatekeeper to decide who or what gets access to the West Wing and thus the Oval Office. Now, how much influence he'll have given the presence of Trump's family is unknown. That, though, may not Trump's family may not necessarily be an upgrade either way. This is a clear status quo selection. You know, it is a status quo. I think it's one that left a lot of people shaking their head. Uh, I think with Steve Bannon also being there We're going to well. get to him in just a moment. And and so when you take a look at Ryan's Priebus about, you know, okay, who has the, the influence? When I watched him on Chris Wallace yesterday, I thought, you know, he, he's just trying to maneuver. That's how he comes across. I'm trying to move maneuver. He does not look like... I'm here to drain the swamp. So he looks like Reince Priebus, yeah. has always and, looked. And so I, I think that is, that's still a concern. And I think part of the reason why he got the job as chief of staff is he knows where a lot of players are. They still got 4,000 positions they need to fill. He knows where a lot of those people might be. All right, you mentioned Bannon. He is their chief strategist, whatever that means. I guess that means he's their Karl Rove. Uh, now, he's supposed to be the personification of Vaux Populi in the Trump administration. Plenty of people are freaked out uh, that the architect of Breitbart's transition from Breitbart to Trumpbart is in such a prominent position. But when I look at many of these cabinet picks, I, I fail to see the evidence that he has that much influence. Because if any other generic Republican had made several of the picks we've talked about, can you imagine what Steve Bannon's Breitbart would be doing right now? to that administration for the for this personnel on the other hand when you see the stuff that trump has prioritized uh the today with nafta and ptpp you can see you do see some bannon influence there so i'm going to give this one an incomplete until we see more evidence that his influence matches the hysteria i think what you're seeing with policy may be completely linked back to bannon but i also think with the cabinet picks 
I, I think he might have been part of art of the deal, probably saying, no, I'm pushing way over here to a hard right position. Some people saying we can't go that hard right, so we land on somebody that might be more in the middle. But overall, I still think the cabinet picks are pretty good. If they continue to lead on the policy issues, I think he has an opportunity to really show I mean this. And what he said on stage on Friday, uh, it could be very hopeful. Final um, appointment, communications director. So if, if Reince Priebus is the Scott Farkas of the Republican Party, then Sean Spicer is the little Grover Dill, if you know your movie reference there with The Christmas Story. Spicer is everything you loathe about, loathe about Priebus and whatever few things about him you actually like. And I think it didn't take long to see that emerge the very first weekend. This just reeks of a status quo pick as well, Bob. Well, Sean Spicer was the communications director for the RNC, and he was one that uh, Reince Priebus sent out a lot of times to deliver a hard message or a tough message. Even one time back at the Presidential Family Forum with us here at the Family Leader, uh, we had to deal with Sean Spicer as well. So I can see him being in that role. Um, uh, I'm not – yeah, Sean, I don't see as being a drain-the-swamp kind of guy, but I do think he'll take the marching orders that he's given and he'll execute so when you look at this, I think it's too early to tell, because we don't know yet how much autonomy these people will have. It's too early to tell if Trump's cabinet truly represents a draining of the swamp. At the very least, I think the early returns are mixed at best. There may be even evidence uh, for some skepticism. And in fact, I, when I think you look at this cabinet, I think we have to, if you take the more cowbell persona of Trump aside, this looks like the, the cabinet that High Energy Jeb would have nominated, Bob. I also think, though, there's a lot there, though, that Ted Cruz would have nominated as well. I'm not saying that Ted Cruz would have changed the bar a lot. No I, way no way with a Tillerson. Right. Mattis, maybe. No way with Priebus. Nobody, no way nobody, with Sean Nobody Spicer. with Mnuchin. That's not happening. Yep. Spicer's not yep. happening. Uh, Priebus isn't happening. Sessions, I could see happening. Price, I could see happening. DeVos, I could see happening. Pruitt, I could definitely see happening. But you go back to what we in fact, talked about. I could about. see Pruitt getting an yep. even more prominent position yep. than EPA in a, in a Cruz administration. You talk about one of the things we talked about early on. If Trump can deliver on a Attorney General with with a Jeff Sessions, if he can deliver on a Supreme Court pick, I mean those would be two outstanding two outstanding hits. The key is going to be is Trump leading these things, or is his cabinet picks leading these things? And and those things with presidencies can evolve and revolve and devolve over the course of a four year slog, right? Presidencies are if dog years are are, set, are one year for every seven. Presidencies are two to three times that. And so, you'll see a tor- turnover as well, yes, especially you, with the chief of staff area. Oh yes, I mean if you're dealing with a guy who went through four campaign man or three and a half campaign managers, depending on when you view Sam Numberg. If you went through three and a half campaign managers in two and a half years, then yeah, if I were Reince Priebus, I would keep that resume updated on a consistent basis. Yes. Bob, we appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you guys. Take care. You too. We'll come back and have some reaction to what you just heard here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. All right, let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Bob Vanderplatz here throughout the course of this hour on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. On the Salem Radio Network, so Todd, what did uh, Bob and I have to say during this assessment of Trump's cabinet picks that just stood out to you? 
Well, Bob is uh, very charitable, as always, or likes to see uh, the possibility uh, for the best in all people. But putting all people aside, let's say Trump has the lust for this as much as anybody else, and everybody he put in place are go-getters. How, how much of this swamp... I guess, no, how fast can this swamp be drained after years and years of the momentum, the snowball building and building and building? I mean, this you, you talk all the time about you can smell the sulfur when you go there and just how entrenched things are. How, no matter how hard you work at this, I wonder what's the best case scenario? That's one thing after that, four years in. I would answer this the same way I when I when I teach theology. It's the same thing that happens after you have a conversion in Christianity. Holy Spirit comes into your life. Right away, some things about you change right away. Over the course of time, more things change. And then some things are so entrenched and so embedded, some of the old wiring, some of the old behavior, that it takes years and years and years for those things to go away, right? That's part of what we call a sanctification process. In a way, that's what, that's what people are hoping is going to take place here. There are several things, Aaron, that can be done right away. Trump is doing some of those things. Mm-hmm. We talked about that today. He could do even more, frankly. You know, DACA could go away tomorrow. And, and he's kind of hemming and hawing on that now. So somebody, you know, pick Ann Coulter up off the floor. But, but, there, but there's, 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 there's more of this that can go away right away than you would think because of the way Trump, Obama went about imposing a lot of it. But that's also why these cabinet picks are so important, Aaron, because not all of it can go away. Not even with the power of Trump's persona or a pen and a phone, because some of this is rigor mortis that's been entrenched in Washington for decades, and it has to be done at a department administration level. And that's where those cabinet picks do come in and this conversation has absolutely everything to do with worldview in my view because uh, action will follow belief and so when you have people like tillerson he's a progressive he's a progressive some of the um, trump picks so far may be lukewarm conservative or maybe lukewarm progressive but their actions are going to follow what they believe which is why i expect in the case and some of somebody, like sessions are actual sessions, conservative yeah, exactly which is why i expect when sessions uh hits the floor here hits the ground running we're going to see some very good things but when uh, tillerson hits the ground running I, i'm not i don't I, i'm going to give him the, the the chance but i'm not expecting him to just blow me away with uh, how he sees the or uh, the result of his actions because how he sees the world is through a progressive lens that's been borne out in his actions and his beliefs from the past now the question will be whether these two dueling factions in trump's cabinet will work together to just create some sort of lukewarm presidency who knows it's going to be better than, i think than what we would have gotten from hillary clinton there's no question about that but that doesn't necessarily mean good. Better is not always good. That's what we're going to find out. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 of the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. 
Again, don't forget, get your early bird discount now for CRTV as we move to Conservative Review CRTV. Beginning in February, you'll hear this show. Watch it live each day, each afternoon on CRTV. Go to CRTV.com. Use the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. Get your early bird subscription discount, 30 cents a day, and you won't miss a single show. And you'll also get access to Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Mark Stein, and Steven Crowder as well. It's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed, it is three questions when our producer Aaron, this time of night, gets to ask us any three questions about any three things. Nothing is put off limits, but he is given one rule. He has to answer the same questions as well. Thank you, Steve. Question one. Will Edward Snowden be pardoned now that Trump is president? It seems he's pretty chummy with Russia and it seems that Trump is pretty chummy with Russia as well. You know, I was going to say no chance until in in my mind, I was about to interrupt you and say no chance until you threw that last line in. Something I had not thought about until this weekend. That's, you know, what's the old saying? Only Nixon could go to China. So it may be one of those things where Trump could make an argument that finding out everything this guy knows is worth is worth this. But in my view, given the devolution that's happened with Snowden, where a lot of his narrative, and you can just see it in the way our show responds to him. I mean, at first, I was very thankful. I, listen, I'm still thankful he blew the whistle on the NSA. Because if what they were doing was not illegal, there'd have been no reason for the for Congress to rush to action with reforms in the wake of of, of Snowden's revelations. But the narrative, this 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 flowery narra, narrative of this um, liberal liberal or libertarian, um, you know, uh, or civil libertarian, libertarian, we use that language of the civil libertarian martyr. Uh, you know, whistleblower that that has been fashioned for him and some of it he's tried to fashion for himself has really devolved over the last couple of years. His supporters would make the case that's because of the situation he's in with the United States. He's had to cut deals for his own safety and his own freedom. Okay, to some extent. But I wonder what would happen if Trump called his bluff and said, listen, Obama's gone. We'll bring you home. Look at, you know, I've got friendly relations with Russia. We'll give you a fair trial to represent and to make your case and to put it on him. And, and how would how would Stone react? For example, um, Assange has said all along that if if Bradley Manning was commuted or pardoned, then he would come to the United States and face trial. He would give himself extradition in the United States. Has he followed through with that so far? It's no. been, been a week. No. Now, the other danger for Trump, though, is this becomes your, your Bo Bergdahl. And it's, it's nothing but a loss leader, and it just takes away from you. So I guess this is, a, this is a long-winded way, Todd, of saying not unless at some point it becomes politically – Trump decides it becomes politically beneficial for him to do so. 
And I, I truly can't imagine a scenario when that happens. I mean, men like Trump and Putin use people like Snowden. And if Snowden tries to turn on, on them with information, you know, Trump is beyond shame. So I, I, I don't really know what he's going to worry about short of state secrets. And I don't think we are at that point yet. So I, I really cannot imagine a scenario where this is in any way to Trump's advantage. Yeah, I, I it is it is interesting that uh, both Snowden and Trump have something in common in that it seems like they're pretty good friends with Russia and have taken advantage or at least have um you know opened their arms towards Russian advances if you will. Um but there's just no there's no way I can think about this that would just make any sense for pardoning Snowden. Um, or giving him some sort of way to come back um, you know, for a trial without uh, without it being politically inexpedient for, for Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, for that matter. Question two, if you could go back and witness any Old Testament event or story in person, which would you choose and why? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I'll just go with, again, what's the first thing that popped into my head, even though I, could, I might, if you gave me more time, come up with a better one. But um, I'm going to go with Elijah yes. at Mount Carmel. I'm going to go with Elijah at Mount Carmel just dropping bombs. Just rolls in, I came to drop bombs. I mean, he just, he just <laughs> drops bombs. The way he mocks them. He mimics them. The snark, right? And then like the ultimate pro- prophetic mic drop, okay? So... Um, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Elijah's beatdown of the uh, the pagan prophets uh, of the demon Baal at Mount Carmel. I would go to the place that I would need to see with my own eyes to f- fully embrace the power of it. For example, as a, a, a younger man, much harder for me to imagine uh, God commanding uh, his people to go in and uh, wipe out the people of, uh, of Canaan, the Holy Land that he would claim for them. I can get that now. You, com- you compare those people to ISIS and what God said about them, you understand how a people needed to be wiped out. Otherwise, they would be wiped out in return. But the one, the story that I... I I cannot wrap my brain around and make it fully tangible is Abraham sacrificing his own son, Isaac. To see it, to see the raw power, to see how the man dealt with it, to see the look on his face, I would want to be there. I would say one of the first things that popped into my head was uh, when the Israelites fought against the Amorites, I think, um, and and the sun stood still. That would be just a weird thing to witness it seems like uh just being uh, you know just uh seeing the sun just stand still and uh time just stand still and all this fighting happening around you that's always piqued my interest in the past but what must it have been like to see the very first raindrops i mean because my understanding is that prior to the flood there was no rain because we can get off into the weeds here but uh, to see the first raindrops for the flood that would have been something to behold uh, question three, what's the grossest thing you've ever seen not involving politics or politicians? Uh, the grossest thing I've ever seen in real life? In real life. In real life. Again, I'll go with the first thing that popped in my head because that's the most visceral reaction. Um, what, 12 years old, watching Monday Night Football, the Giants are playing the Redskins. Oh, it's that one. Lawrence Taylor comes off the edge. 
and blows up Joe Theismann, who's really Joe Theismann, but he changed his name to Theismann, the pronunciation, while at Notre Dame because he wanted to win the Heisman Trophy. Thought the rhyming would <laughs> help him win some votes. It's a true story. His name was really Joe Theismann. That's amazing. And he changed his name in the middle of his career at Notre Dame. He changed it to Joe Theismann to rhyme with Heisman. Okay. And uh, Lawrence Taylor comes off the edge, blows him up. And you see his leg move in a way a human leg should not move. And you, I remember watching that, and you know something was you knew something was wrong that he was seriously hurt. But when Lawrence Taylor, the guy who delivers the blow, turns to the Redskins bench and begins feverishly motioning for the doctors and the trainers to get out there, that's what just makes your heart sink. You know what I'm saying? That's. That's that's when you realize this is this is something something very very bad happened out here. So, um, I'm gonna go with that because I could because I could also pick how many pictures we have seen of the man's inhumanity mm-hmm. at concentration camps, um, Islamic State. In fact, can I amend my statement? I'm gonna pick one more. Th- I'm gonna pick. An, I'm gonna I'm gonna amend my statement. Not the videos themselves of what went on in the concentration camps. Those are horrific enough. But maybe the grossest thing I've ever seen, the most gruesome thing I've ever seen, is the reactions, the filmed reactions of the first Allied soldiers as they walk out before we see what's going on there. And these are men that have been hardened by war. They have seen dismemberment, maiming, and murder right in front of them. And And to see them... So impacted by this, this wickedness, this evil, that's probably the answer they're taught. Well, I already mentioned ISIS, the, their tyrannies upon humanity. They, they seem to enjoy creative ways of burning people alive, drowning them in mass. It's grotesque. Would agree with that? All of it. It's a pretty gruesome question. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at some of the stuff that happened throughout the course of the day. They're not even in the course of a three-hour show. We have time to get to everything. So these are those headlines, other headlines, trending on social media at your water cooler at work, as told to us by our producer, Aaron. And then we will have, in response, the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. In a Fox News poll conducted January 15th through the 18th, everyone for themselves beat out, we're all in this together, by a 60 to 34% margin. <laughs> <laughs> what is the context of that of the polling question? I mean, what, what? How did they present this option to the people they polled? Can you tell us? Yeah. Well, the uh, the question was presented: Which of the following comes closer to your view of the mood of the country today? We're all in this together, or it's everyone for themselves. And th- those were the two. Those were the two options. So it's pretty well uh, right on the face. I mean, this is just a typical opinion survey that uh, Fox News does. But it's um, what you hear is what you get there. The thing is, with a question like this, Todd, 
your worldview dictates how you take these things, right? I mean, if I'm a progressive, we're all in this together means something different than it does to somebody with a different worldview. If I'm a Christian, every man for himself means something different to you than it would to somebody who's not, right? You could take every man for himself to be, ultimately, we are accountable for our own actions. Ultimately, we are each made individually in the, in the image of God. And on your day of judgment, no one stands up for, to give an account for your life other than you. You see what I'm saying? It, but, but another world you could look at it to mean um, that, is de- that denotes some form of not self-accountability or responsibility, but selfishness, self-centeredness. I got to go for mine, Snoop Dogg once prophesied, because you're going to go for yours, right? That's, it depends on... So I think we can't take these statements in a vacuum without knowing the, the worldview of the wielder of the answer. Could also mean that it could also just be this simple. People try that whole hope and change thing. And they view that we're all in this together as the Obama thing. And and they said, you know, screw that. This guy wants to make this guy wants to give me my job back. This Trump guy does. So now it's every man for himself. It could just mean that too. I think they interpret what's the exact wording of the first choice, Aaron? The exact wording is, we're all in this together, and then the second choice is, it's everyone for themselves. Everyone for themselves. I think a lot of people probably interpret that as us versus them, and people on both sides strongly feel that, that we are not even close to a united country. I used the term uh, several times last week, and I don't mean it to be hyperbolic. We are a country at civil war with one another. There is no overlapping circles in the Venn diagram. And one of these worldviews, as you often says, has got to win and one has to lose. Next story, a federal judge is chastening Yale University for caving to the demands of hypersensitive students. And he's warning that the elite school is developing a habit of trampling on First Amendment protections. Writing for the Yale Law and Public uh, Review via campus reform, U.S. Circuit Judge Jose uh, Cambranes, who was previously Yale's general counsel, referred to Encounter Book's recent decision to republish copies of the Woodward Report, a Yale document affirming its commitment to freedom of expression. In 1975, the university adopted the report as official school policy. Now, this judge, Cambranes, says that their decision to report the, reprint the report was a response to the institution's fading commitment to its contents. Um, it's funny you're, when you see Animal Farm come to life. So in the, in, the, in the 60s, on these campuses like at Yale, it, it was four legs good, two legs bad. Power to the people. Down with the man. But then, once the pigs get a hold of the farmer's house for themselves, it becomes four legs good, two legs even better. And then you realize, well, you know what? Just like all good all good statists come to this conclusion. It's why tyranny always follows in invoking of statism. Because after you're done taking the guns and the money away from everybody else, you then realize, you know what? We're the only ones that have the guns. So why are we sharing the money? And this is always what happens. And this is what's happened on our college campuses in the last generation. 
They loved books like Catcher in the Rye when they thought heteronormative white imperialism was the dominant establishment culture coming out of the 1950s. But then once they once they came out of the 60s and they got a hold of all the college campuses, Todd, what, were, what, what was one of the first books that had to go? That same Catcher in the Rye. And this is and you've seen some people on the left have rebelled against this. You've seen actors, James Woods, Rob Lowe, who when you and I were growing up were were huge liberals. I would probably put um, uh, Lowe left of center. Woods is probably has moved further to the right than Lowe has. But this is the, the a reaction to the dynamic that I am describing is one of the reasons why you've seen and in, in the cases of Rob Lowe and James Woods that make these transitions. Hey, it turned out you guys really weren't for freedom of speech. You guys were really for freedom of your speech. That's really what you were for. And and I think this story is is another is is part and parcel with that observation, Todd. Yeah, it's. I appreciate uh, the move by this uh, guy, but it's it's almost a- adorable by how he's trying to like put out a a paper and like look at my from my august position as a former one. I want you come on. They as don't if, care. Maybe as if as if they don't know what they're doing and they just right, need to be informed. Right. No, they know. And then they're going to get up one day and say, you know what? Fine. We didn't even th- thank you for enlightening yes. us. Yes. Yeah, not it is, happen. There's a cute, cuteness to it. You're right. Uh, we just learned with the Women's March. We've learned with uh, bakers and florists. We know this about college camps. They know exactly what they're doing, and it's going to take a lot more than a white paper for them to stop. All right. Y'all ready for this? Yep. Star Wars Episode Eight has a title. It's The Last Jedi. Talk to me. Now, is that referring to Luke? Because I can't refer to Here's Ray. What I saw somebody, and the, I want to hear your take on this. Okay, I didn't react. I, I should have noticed it. Something seemed off, but I didn't. The 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 Star Wars, you know, the logo. It's in red instead of gold. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That's well, Scythian. Well, well red, I was going to say red is typically a Scythian color. Yes, that is that is typically what that represents. I. It's a title that you might have expected. For the final chapter of a trilogy, not the middle chapter. I think a lot of people were expecting a derivative because The Force Awakens is such a derivative off of it's the same story formula as Star Wars. It's just Luke Skywalker's a girl now and Han Solo's black. But it's the same story. It's the same <laughs> story. True. It's the same story. Okay. Um, you have a cute droid, okay, that, that has its that has its own mind, yeah. that's entrusted with certain plans. It's the same story. So I think a lot of people were thinking this would be the Empire Strikes Back. You know, so this this would be something along, along the line. The title would reference the First Order in some way. So I think this has got a lot of people wondering, hmm, where is this going? Don't you think? Oh, yeah. And I think it might confirm my suspicion about Ray. She might be going dark. You're listening to Steve Dace. not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. So what is the real news? What is the fake news in the hubbub, the hysteria involving Trump, Russia, NATO, the Crimea? Alexander Vershbau is with us. He is the former U.S. ambassador to both NATO and Russia, and he joins us now here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Thank you for joining us tonight, Alexander. How are you? 
I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. So this is obviously an area that uh, that you've got some experience and some expertise in. Let me just start with a general question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being um, completely overblown, hyperbolic, minimal, 10 being uh, we're at DEFCON 1, what is your view of of just how serious we are about denigrating, diminishing our relationship with NATO in a Trump presidency? Well, that one's a tough one to answer because the signals continue to be uh, mixed. Uh, and we heard in the inauguration speech a very nice phrase about reinforcing uh, existing alliances. And the president has said he considers NATO very important, but he also says it's obsolete, uh, which I don't think is true. So allies are still scratching their heads, uh, trying to figure out where does the administration want to go. Uh, NATO has, has its problems. Allies could spend more on defense, and I think uh, they're beginning to do that. But it's been a very valuable asset for the United States. It helps us solve problems by having a bunch of allies who share our values, share our interests, ready to even fight uh, and give up their lives for for, uh, U.S. policies. So hopefully we can uh, improve NATO rather than uh, cast it aside. Well, that leads to my follow-up question. Is NATO irrelevant? Make the case, because one of the things... And I'm, this is something, an area where I have some strong disagreement with Trump. But one of the things I'm concerned about is when Trump says things like NATO is irrelevant. One, he doesn't define why he thinks that. But when I hear people say, well, you, that, that's not true, they, they, they act as if, well, he just can't say that rather than making the case of why that's an incorrect assessment. So, Alexander, can you make the case that NATO is not irrelevant? Yeah. No, I think, uh, it's extremely relevant, maybe more relevant today than it was even three or four years ago, because it was invented, remember, of course, to to defend and deter aggression from uh, the Soviet Union. And after the end of the Cold War 25 years ago, that uh, mission faded into the background. Uh, but NATO remained valuable in other ways. It helped put out the fires in uh, the former Yugoslavia. Uh, after 9-11, uh, allies actually uh, agreed to go and fight terrorists with NATO and with the U.S. in Afghanistan. Uh, we have a whole series of political programs in NATO that people don't know much about, in which we're actually helping train militaries and countries from Eastern Europe to the Middle East so that they can fight their own battles. And it kind of can certainly save us the huge cost of having to intervene over and over again. Uh, the president has said, uh, if, if he's been clear at all, it's about NATO not doing enough against terrorism. But uh, what we've been doing in Afghanistan for more than a decade is very much fighting the Taliban and fighting uh, to prevent al-Qaeda from coming back. And some of the, the programs that we're building with uh, Middle Eastern partners also helps fight terrorism. Allies are flying planes with us in Syria, you know, bombing ISIL in Raqqa and, and other places. So uh, I think you've got to look at uh, what NATO is doing without diminishing the challenges that NATO has in uh, doing even better. Uh, allies are a little stingy with the resources, and President Trump hopefully will uh, help straighten them out on that. <laughs> if you look at the big picture... And you look at some of the the nationalism that emerged in this campaign, and I don't mean that in terms of the uh, the Pepe the Frog trolling and things of that nature. Many of us had never heard of this before, during except on social media during the campaign. But I, I mean serious concerns about the spread of globalism. And when I, when someone like if if someone has adopted nationalism as the antithesis to globalism. 
could they look at a an organization like NATO, which has a, a, a country heavily influenced by Islam, like Turkey in it, and say, well, you know, uh, you look at some of the the unrest that's going on there. Uh, you look at uh, the rise of radical Islam, and, uh, and and then you look at Russia and, and the Crimea. Do we really want, is this really about we're going to die to protect Turkey? We're going to die to protect Ukraine. Uh, and, and you can see why you might support a Brexit in order to destabilize the European Union. And then you might look at NATO as a relic of an era of global positioning gone by. I'm playing devil's advocate here with you, Alexander Vershpo, former NATO ambassador and U.S. ambassador to Russia. And I want to get your reaction to that when we come back. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show with Alexander Vershbo, former U.S. ambassador to both NATO and Russia. So I left you hanging, Alexander, before the last break. And, uh, you know, the, the emergence of the new nationalism and the way that it looks at things like Brexit and NATO. And I want to give you time to react to that now. Well, I think you, you have to look, first of all, at history. And when countries have uh, been left to their own devices to take a, a purely national approach, they've ended up going to war with each other. That's certainly been true in Europe. And what NATO did, in addition to keeping the Russians out, which it did very effectively, it kept Europe from going back to war among themselves. You actually had uh, you know, Nazi Germany suddenly transformed into a democracy that became a producer and a contributor to security. So going back to a purely national approach, I think, leads to risks and, and dangers, and NATO, I think, has been a very valuable instrument for preventing that. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, these, the, there are problems within NATO. You're right to point to Turkey, for example, as a country that's drifting a bit away from NATO, more authoritarian at home, uh, becoming more aligned with the Russians, at least in the latest stages of the Syrian uh, peace negotiations. But NATO gives us a, a platform to kind of bring them back into the fold, uh, because Turkey ultimately needs NATO as much as, uh, as maybe more than we need Turkey. And so uh, I think we get, get leverage through the defense uh, commitments that we have in NATO. The key thing, of course, is it's all for one and one for all. We, we get a lot of benefit as the United States in defending our interests in fighting our battles from the allies. Uh, you know, a thousand allies have died in Afghanistan basically to help avenge what happened on 9-11. Uh, and uh, allies have taken perhaps more of the burden of the economic sanctions uh, against the Russians uh, to punish them for their aggression against Ukraine. So, uh, you know, they're not total freeloaders. They actually can be uh, what we call in the trade force multipliers for American interests. 
<laughs> I agree with your historical analysis, but what if someone comes back and says, you know what, we've also seen regional or continental alliances lead to whole-scale warfare as well. Look at World War One, for example. That would be an, an example of that. And, and we're not living in an era where we are facing a unified front of opposition uh, from another nation-state like the Soviet Union, but a more amorphous enemy that is driven by an aberrant view of religion uh, that is able to manifest itself in San Bernardino, California, or outside a nightclub in Miami of Florida without uh, massive armament buildups and, and border skirmishes and incursions. It's just a new world now. How would you respond to that? Yeah. I agree with you, and I know the president uh, has put a lot of stress on fighting uh, radical Islamic terrorism, and uh, uh, he's absolutely right to do that. But I think fighting them, working with our allies, is ultimately going to be more successful than going it alone. I mean, the allies have more of a Muslim populations in their own country that are beginning, you know, at least some of them getting radicalized. They live closer to these uh, areas of, of uh, open conflict in North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, so we can... We, help them help us uh, to kind of counter radicalization to help legitimate governments fight the terrorists at home so we don't have to fight them here on our own shores uh, it's always better to fight having allies on your side than going it alone could some of this from Trump be art of the deal posturing you're a diplomat uh, you and you've obviously you've been ambassador to Russia you understand um, I'm not necessarily drawing a moral equivalency between Trump and and Putin obviously but there's uh, there's some there's some crossover reasons there why Trump has some fanboy crushes on on Putin so is some of this real politic art of the deal for example the story earlier today that Erdogan in Turkey has has launched a, an incursion of 5,000 troops into of his people into Syria as a sort of "Quote unquote police action." Could some of this be an attempt to reset, to rearrange uh, the chessboard of NATO, where the prominence is? Concern about nations like Turkey either trying to diminish uh, their role within NATO or move, remove them out altogether. I mean, I'm asking, how much of this do you think is is a negotiation tactic from Trump? Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard hard to know. Uh, I certainly hope so, and I think it, it would be. Uh perfectly legitimate for a new administration to kind of put some new challenges uh, on the table and uh, ask allies to uh, to suck it up and try to do uh, do better than they've been doing on these problems or, or go in slightly different directions. Uh, I think uh, NATO uh, allies could spend more on defense. Only a handful meet the 2% of GDP goal. Uh, NATO could be doing a lot more than it's doing in uh, helping the countries in North Africa and the Middle East to fight the terrorists at home so we don't have to fight them over here. Uh, and the same with Russia. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he clearly wants to uh, engage the Russians early, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but hopefully he's going to position himself so that he can get something in return from Putin, uh, particularly to stop beating up Ukraine, which is an independent country that doesn't deserve to have its uh, territory uh, cut off by force and have this illegal insurgency uh, continuing three years on in its eastern provinces. Uh, so hopefully uh, we, we can get to a better place with Russia, but get something out of that deal and not uh, just give Putin what he wants, which is to uh, lift the sanctions uh, basically for nothing. <laughs> All right. Final question, then. You, since we've invoked the name Vladimir Putin, who is he? 
I have, you know, members of my audience are now asking me questions like, well, why wouldn't we want an alliance with Putin? Why, why, why wouldn't we want, uh, the same Putin who has, uh, been a strong advocate of Assad while he was gassing his people now flying joint missions bombing Islamic State with us in Syria as they announced earlier today? Why are those bad things? And I think people, and this is what partisan blinders do to people on both sides. Now that the standard bearer of their party uh, seemingly wants to wants to have a detente or if not a flat out bromance with Vladimir Putin, they're beginning to reassess their own view of Russia. What is the right view here, according to your experience as a former Russian ambassador, Alexander? Yeah. Well, Putin clearly is a strong Russian nationalist. Uh, he's a KGB veteran. Uh, he is. Re- re- he wants to make Russia great again. I don't think he wants to make America great again. Uh, he thinks very transactionally, which may be a point of contact with our new president. And there may be specific things that we could do together with Russia. Uh, they could help us in Afghanistan, helping prevent no- North Korea from getting a nuclear weapon. And maybe, and here I'm a little cautious about dealing with uh, the Islamic State in the Middle East. So far, Putin has shown he's fighting for Assad and not against the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. But if we can get him to change his tune and actually do things that, in our view, provide a long-term solution and not just uh, uh, good good, uh, visuals on the evening news, but ends up strengthening the Islamic State and strengthening the opposition to Assad, uh, you know, let's see if that's possible. but you know, Putin doesn't have our best interest at heart, so we have to at least approach this uh, with open eyes. Uh, but yes, we've got to talk to him. Let's see if there is a deal to be had. We'll have a few more minutes with Alexander Vershbo, former U.S. ambassador to both NATO and Russia, here in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Hunting rhinos into extinction. The Steve Day Show. Wrapping it up with Alexander Vershbo. He is the former U.S. ambassador to both Russia and NATO here on the Steve Day Show. Does Putin really want a deal or is this an attempt to destabilize the West uh, in order to reassert Russian prominence? I think the second uh, option is definitely the case, uh, but it doesn't mean he's not against the deal. But let's remember that in the last three or four years uh, since he came back to being the president, he's basically risen to a much stronger power position by making the U.S. his number one enemy, by making NATO his number two enemy. Uh, and this is a tool of keeping people under control at home. Uh, to suddenly flip and say America's our friend, I think, uh, is not necessarily uh, something Putin is eager to do. But if he can get some specific gains, including the sanctions getting taken off for, for, for very little in return, he'll try to do it. But uh, you know, the bottom line is we have some very serious differences with Russia. We need to work those through uh, carefully, through dialogue, but also through strength. Part of that strength is a strong NATO as a foundation, so when we go and engage Putin and try to make a deal, we have all of our allies standing beside us, uh, pushing in the same direction. I think we'll get a much better deal working with allies and looking out for small countries that have been the victims of aggression than by uh, unilaterally charting our own course. Alexander Vershbo, former U.S. ambassador to both NATO and Russia. Alexander, a wealth of information. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. 
All right, we do have a few seconds here to find out what we learned. Gentlemen, I, I do want to know what you learned from this conversation we just had with, with Alexander Vershbow. Aaron, I'll start with you. Yeah, the, the one thing that stood out to me the most is, is when Alexander said that um, Putin, and, and let's, let's reset this here, Alexander knows what he's talking about. Okay, He's a, a diplomat to both Russia and NATO. Putin is a transactional type of guy. Putin is a guy that wants to make Russia great again. There are so many undertones and overtones here, if you will, of uh, similarities between Donald Trump and or what we think we know of Donald Trump and what experts say about Vladimir Putin. That might be a good thing if we deal from a position of power. That's not going that's I'm, I'm going to say right now, that's not going to be a good thing if we come at this from a position of weak, weakness. You cannot be weak with somebody who views all relationships as a transaction. You must come at them from a position of power. I hope our administration understands that. Which is why you look at the way and Trump is transactional, recognizes what right. Aaron's talking about, Todd, and you see how he deals with everybody else from this position of strength. But there is this one. One notable exception, and that's the way that he deals with Russia, with kick gloves. But you know what? I think I just think he just has a personal fascination uh, with the man, and I don't think it goes uh, much beyond that. But in dealing with Russia in the future, and what does a position of power mean? Do you deal with him now when he's not particularly invested in any particular new cause, or, or do you wait until the thing happens? and get involved in the mess the next border he breaches i don't know the answer to that we're probably going to find out john 317 you're listening to steve dace